So excited um, to be here with you again. My name is Jared. For those that you don't know me, I was on staff here, like Janet said, for eight years. And um, I have some amazing memories of this place. Um, it's, a, it's my favorite place that I've ever worked. And some of the happiest moments of my life, I mean, I got married right up here on stage to my wonderful wife, um, Haley. Um, some of my best years of ministry happened here in this place. Um, but there also have been some pretty sad memories, too. I remember walking into the church um, in 2009 one day, and um, it was, I think, a Monday or a Tuesday. I'm not completely sure. And Pastor Steve um, called me into his office, and he said, hey, Jared, we need to talk for a second. I said, okay, what's going on, bud? And he said, well, let, let's just sit down. He said, I don't know if you've heard, um, but Vinny died last night. Vinny um, was a boy in my youth group, um, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, Steve and I worked at that church together there also. And, um, and Vinny, um, man, I couldn't tell you how many times Vinny had come to my house and eat, um, had dinner with me. Um, Mondays, usually Mondays or Tuesday nights during the week, this was before I was married, and so kids would come over and we would cook dinner and play video games and hang out and talk. And I probably fed that kid um, spaghetti and, and, and you know, chicken and rice probably a hundred times in my four years of being his pastor. Um, we'd stay up, you know, I would have all-nighters at my house and at the church, and Vinny would be playing video games and hanging out and talking with us, and, and, um, and he was just a, just a staple of our youth group. I mean, he did everything with us. He went to every youth activity, he went on every trip. He was kind of a quiet kid. All the guys in the youth group called him the boy. And they just looked after him. He was the boy. And he was the kid that everybody, you know, invited and welcomed. Um, but he was quiet. And what we didn't know about Vinny was that he was battling a disease called depression. And he took his own life um, in 2009. Here's the thing about depression is that it's a disease that a lot of people battle that we're not very good at talking about. Just in case you didn't know this, but the Institute of Mental Health says that 7% of adults have a major depressive episode in any given year. That's somewhere around 15.3 million people here in North America. Now, the number is even higher with adolescents. They say adolescents have somewhere around a 10% rate, and that's 3.5 million teenagers have an have a episode of depression in any given year year. And they're not alone. Um, over the last couple years, we've heard of pastors like Jared Wilson in California, who's written books about depression and was a part of his ministry. Robin Williams, the comedian a few years ago, um, had a, a heart procedure and later developed depression and ended his own life. Personal friends like Vinny and, and, and Dallas Stevenson that some of you may know. It's tough. And here's the thing. As the church, we don't do a good job talking about it. We hide it really, really well. I remember sitting in my office when Pastor Steve came in, and ah, I couldn't tell you what year it was. It was probably 2010, 2011. And he walked in, and he said, Jared, are you okay? I was like, well, yeah. I mean, it's never good when your boss walks in and says, are you okay? Are you okay? I said, well, yeah, I think so. And he says, I, I, don't, I don't think you are. Um, that's even worse, right? When your boss says, ah, I'm going to call you on that. I don't think you are okay. 
And he sat there across from me and he said, hey, this is some of the stuff that I'm seeing. I'm really worried about you. And as he talked, man, my eyes welled up with tears. And I was like, you can tell. And we had this conversation where he says, you know, Jared, I really, I really think that you're depressed. I think you have something going on. I, I think you need to see some help. And so I went, you know, because he encouraged me to, and I, I didn't really know who else to talk about it, I eventually went to a doctor. And I, I said, you know, I, the doctor sat down in front of me. I'll never forget this moment. The doctor set me down. I'm sitting up on the table, and he looks at me, and he says, what brought you in today? What brought you in today? And I said, well, I really don't know. He says, well, tell me what you're feeling inside. What's going on? And I said, what, what symptoms do you have? And I started, so I started talking about what I was thinking, what I was feeling. And as I started talking about this stuff, I said, I think I'm losing my mind. And I just started crying like a crazy person in the middle of the doctor's office. He looked at me and he was like, okay, we're going to need some help in here. The more I talked, the more I started crying. And, and he, says, he says, well, let's try this. He said, do you feel like you need to be on some medication? So well, I don't know. Um, he says, well, let's run some tests first. And we started running some blood work, and we found out that my thyroid wasn't working properly, and um, I went and did a sleep study, and I found out I had sleep apnea, and I wasn't breathing like 90 times every hour, which is absolutely insane, and so they got me a, a sleep apnea, a CPAP machine, and and I started taking some thyroid medication and, and then all this stuff that was happening inside of me, and I just didn't know who and how to talk about it. It's hard. Here's the thing about depression. I know this isn't a fun topic on church. I mean, you go like, oh man, I wanna go to church to get encouraged. And I hope, I'm telling you, we're gonna get there. Just hang with me. But here's the thing about depression, is that there's lots of causes of it. Some young moms experience postpartum depression after having a baby, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, they have this little bundle of joy, and yeah, they're difficult, and yeah, they keep you up at night, but sometimes after the, in the delivery process, something just happens chemically inside of them, and, and they don't understand why, they just feel depressed. Sometimes depression is a side effect of certain medications that we take. Sometimes depression comes after heart surgery. They say that when you have heart surgery, one of the major things that you have to look out for afterwards is, is the symptoms of depression. Sometimes it's shame or, or a job loss or some sort of life change that happens. Sometimes it's just a chemical imbalance. Sometimes we have no idea why it happens. It just does. I was reading a blog by the name of, um, a woman by the name of Bonnie Gray. She wrote a book called Whispers of Rest. And, and she was talking about in this blog online that, that she said, you know what? It makes no sense to me. She said, I have, I have the perfect life. She said, I, I remember I, I was in my mid-30s and married and have two kids. I'm super successful and she's writing and she's speaking and she has this online presence that people are reading. And then she said, all of a sudden one day, I was depressed. And I don't understand why what happened. And she said, as I started going to counseling, one of the things that she discovered is that her body, I don't know if you know this, but your body has a, weird, a real great way of protecting you when you go through stress. And, and your body can isolate certain issues and certain feelings and because when you're in those stressful situations, you just don't have the ability to handle it. And she said, here I was as a grown adult woman and all of a sudden PTSD of when she was a child rears its ugly head and she finds herself in the throes of depression because she was finally in a safe place 
to work through those emotions until her body allowed herself to feel those things that she had been suppressing for years. Here's the thing, depression doesn't make sense, but a lot of us face it, a lot of us go through it, and, and we do so in the church too. This is what I learned, is that if I struggle with depression, I'm in really good company. Because there's guys like David, you know, and we're going through this series of, called Canyons, and we're looking at some of the writings of David and some of the things that we face. And one of the things that I'm pretty certain is that David faced depression throughout his life. If you're not sure, you can read with me in Psalms 143. Can you put that up on the screen? Um, Psalms 143, do you have it? No? Okay, I'll just pull it out of my Bible. Is it up there? No, that's okay. I got it right here. Psalms 143 says this. It says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursue me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit, are you listening, grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do you hear it? Do you hear the battle? Do you hear the the sadness, the brokenness? Don't hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. In Psalms 40, 1 through 3, he says it this way. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. Are you ready? He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. I think that's a great description of depression. For those of you that have ever felt it or ever experienced it, it feels like mud. It feels like mire. It feels like a swamp. It feels like a bog. It feels like you're just knee deep. You're sloshing. You can't figure out your way out. It's sad. It's gray. It stinks. It's gloomy. It's, it's hard. And we don't often do a good job talking about it in the church. And that's what we're going to do about do today. Here's just a couple thoughts for you about what depression is not. Are you ready? You can take your notes, pull them out, and follow along with me. Here's the first thing. Depression is not laziness. It's not laziness. Sometimes we hear this idea, they're just lazy. Just get your act together. Just do something. Don't be lazy. Here's the thing about depression, though. Depressed people don't want to feel that way. You know, if you're, if you're thinking, well, am I just being lazy? Well, you know, it could look like this. It, it's like you're sitting in a messy apartment, and if you're lazy, you just say, hey, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. You know, I don't have to do it today. I'm tired. I just want to sit on the couch. I just want to veg. I just want to be lazy. Here's the thing about depression, though. Depression doesn't even recognize that the apartment's dirty or that you might need a shower 
or that you even acknowledge that something is wrong around you. Depression, it's not laziness. Here's another thing, is that depression, it's not caused by weakness of character. Sometimes we think, well, depressed people, just do something about it. Get undepressed, read more, stop moping, stop worrying, just let that stuff go, just put it in the past. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, get it together. But depression, it's, it's not caused by weakness of character. Here's another one. Depression, it's not a choice. A few weeks ago, or probably a month ago, I was talking to one of my friends on the phone, my best friend. Um, his name's Eric. And, and Eric got really uncomfortable. We were just talking about, he's one of the people that hold me accountable in life. And he's like, how are you doing, man? I just had to be really honest. I said, Eric, I'm not doing well. You know, I've been not working in the church since October, and, and I, I'm just ready to do something. I feel stuck, and, you know, I just I take care of the kids every day. And moms, I don't know how you do it. Just, it's rough taking care of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. They drive, Chris, you are a saint. You have five of those bad boys. I don't understand. Four, sorry, four, my bad. I was giving you an extra. We had Sean, but that's all right. I don't get it. It's hard. And he's like, he says, well, are you, he says, what's, what's, I said, I think I'm depressed. No, you're not. No, I, I think I might, I, I, th- I feel depressed some days. Uh, th- come on, Jared, you're just sad. I was like, no, I'm really not. He says, well, well, don't be, okay? And I was like, well, okay, all right, I guess I'm not depressed anymore. I really appreciate that encouragement. And he said, well, good, I'm glad you're not depressed. I was starting to get worried about you. As if it was just a choice. As if I could just say, hey, I guess I won't be today. I just won't feel those feelings today. Here's another thing. This is really important in the church. Is that depression's not a lack of faith. The logic goes like this. Well, Jesus said, don't worry, right? So if you're worrying, then you're not having faith in Jesus. This is what the church says sometimes. Well, of course I have faith in Jesus, Of course, Haley and I know that God has our future in his hands and my little feral children are protected by the hand of God. I understand all those things. I get it. I know that. Well, if you trust, then you're gonna have peace because that's what the Bible says. So you can't be depressed if you're trusting in God. I just have to say this, is that depression comes from a lot of different places. And it's not just a simple, well, you just need to trust more. Get, your, get, get it under control. Here's the last one, all right? Depression is this. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. It can't be a sin. You know how I know it can't be a sin? Because I think our Lord and Savior Jesus had moments of depression. And he was sinless and faultless. If you doubt me, if you're like, not Jesus, he never felt depressed. He never had those feelings going inside of him. Well, I I think he does. If you look at Mark chapter 14, I put this in your notes. This is the message translation. It says, they came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. Are you ready? Read this next part with me. I want to hear your voices. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, read it with me. I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. 
Now, I know this is the message translation, and Eugene Peterson is really colorful with his words, but that sounds like depression. In that moment, Jesus about to experience the cross, and NIV says he was at a point of agony, even to the point of death. I mean, the scripture says that he sweat drops of blood, that he was there on the ground. He was saying, Father, if any way you can keep this from happening to me, God, not my will, but your will be done. Listen, I put this in your notes, and there's something I think we all need to remember. Depression, it's not a sin. It's a signal that something is wrong and that we need help and hope. Amen? Amen. So when in the bog of depression, I just want to leave you with some really good thoughts to encourage you this morning. Are you ready? When in the bog, the swamp, the mire, the muck of depression, remember in the dark what you learned in the light. Remember in the dark what you learned in the light. I hate moving. I'm just going to be honest. We've moved way too much as a family. In October, we moved from Phoenix into Stephen Wanda's house. God bless them. They put up with my children for two weeks. It was, it was, it was terrible for them, I'm sure. They were very, very wonderful about it, but, but we moved. And then from there, we moved into a rent house, and then we found out that Haley's work, we were gonna, the U.S. government, I'll have to tell you this story sometime, forced us to move. You know, she signed a contract, and they just said, hey, if you're going to stay here in Oklahoma City and work here, we're, you're going to owe us $100,000. And we said, okay, where do you want us to go? Let's just get on the road. We'll go wherever you want us to go. And so we ended up moving to Claremore, and we moved again. And here's what I hate about moving, is learning a new place. I hate it. I hate learning a new place. I hate learning a new house. When I lived here in Oklahoma City, I had the pleasure of renting from Sean and Chris O'Brien for seven years, and I don't understand. Now I know how great I had it, and I'm so thankful for you guys. Not only the rent they charged me, which now I pay real rent. You guys were amazing. I had no clue. Um, but being in a place for that long and knowing it, you, you know, you get up, have to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, which you have to do more often as you get older, and you know, you don't even have to turn on a light. You know how to get there, right? You move into a new place, and there are bedposts and there are chests and there are dragons and dinosaurs and Legos and all these little things that my kids play with. There's a mattress in our bedroom because he doesn't want to sleep in his bed. So now he's sharing a mattress in our bedroom. Our house is a nut house and I'm tired of breaking my toes on stuff. And you have, what's so hard is learning and remembering what I know in the light when I'm, when I'm in the dark. It looks like this. It's like remembering the promises of God. Remembering his hope. Remembering his truth. Remembering his words. In Psalms 143, remember what David said? He says, I'm losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. Read it with me. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. One of the ways of dealing with life in the bog of depression is remembering the words and the victories and the promises and the blessings of God. Now, what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to say that you remember these things and all of a sudden, woohoo, I'm out, I'm free. It's one of the things that help. You remember what you learn in the light when you're in the dark. Here's the second thing, are you ready? Acknowledge your feelings as just feelings. Feelings... They're a tricky thing. They try to take hold of our hearts, our lives, 
Can I just tell you a big truth? Your feelings, they can't be trusted. They can't be trusted. I remember one night, I, I don't, has anybody ever been spooked in your own house before for no reason whatsoever? Before I was married with Haley, and it's one of those rare moments when I didn't have somebody living in the house with us at Sean and Chris's. Um, and uh, I, was, I was walking through the house, going into my bedroom, and all of a sudden I heard this bang. And it was like, felt like it was right outside my window. And I got spooked. I was like, whoa. I'd open the door, and all of a sudden, boom. And, and I'm thinking, man, there's something weird going on in this bedroom. I used to lay in bed and hear the house creak and think, there's somebody living in the attic. I know there's somebody living in the attic. And I was like, he's not in the attic anymore. He's somewhere in this bedroom. And so I heard this noise outside the window, and I was like, oh my gosh, um, I'm gonna, it's just going to peek. So I had the bedroom light on, and I walked up to the blinds, and I slowly pulled the blinds down, and right there, somebody was staring at me. And I let go of those blinds, and I backed away, and I was like, my heart was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, if I had a machine gun, I would just been like, just, they would have been cooked. I would just would have ended them because I was freaked. I was like, somebody is staring at me right outside that window. Fear gripped. And I was just, okay, control yourself. Get a hold of yourself and need to look again. And I walked up to it and I pulled down the blind. And right there, there was an eye staring back at me. And I was like, I threw, jumped back from the curtain, from the blinds. I was like, what in the world? Somebody is right there. And I started screaming, hey, if you're at the window, you better back up. Get away from my house. And I'm just causing a huge scene. And then all of a sudden, the feelings went away. And I started thinking through the process of what was happening. And I, in my mind, I was like, well, the lights are on in the bedroom. And I pulled up the blinds. And it was me staring at me. It was my eyeball that I kept seeing. If I'm lying, I'm dying. My feeling said there's a mass murderer on the other side of this window. Well, there was me staring at myself. That's what our feelings are like. Our feelings are just feelings. They grip us. They get a hold of us. They tell us that God doesn't love us. He's abandoned us. Haley, how many times have I said, what in the world is God up to? Has he forgotten about me? What is going on in my life? And, and she's just like, Jared, he's got us. I know you're not feeling it right now. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know all these things, right? But our feelings, they get us. They grip us. They lie to us at times. I, I put this in your notes, and I, I can't elaborate on it because we're definitely running out of time. So sometimes we have to do the exact opposite of how we feel. Depression says, stay in your house, shut the door, turn off the lights, turn on the TV, grab a, a, a ho-ho and a bucket of ice cream and, and just sit here. Nobody wants to see you anyways. That's what your feelings tell you to do. They can't be trusted. Sometimes the way out of depression is to do the exact opposite and say, okay, I feel like I want to stay, but I really have to go. I feel like I want to sit, but I really need to take a walk. I feel like I want to isolate, but I, I really need to find a friend. You following me? Here's the third one, just real quickly. I think we get this, so I'm not going to elaborate on it, but we lean into the church. 
Here's the big picture, folks. The church is supposed to look The church is supposed to look a lot less like a country club and more like a hospital. It's supposed to be a place where broken, hurting, isolated, depressed, wounded people find comfort and love and healing from people that are hurting broken, and wounded. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and source of all comfort. Read it with me. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. I think I put this in your notes. I hope it's there. Love means hanging in there with those who are weak, crushed, down, depressed, and hanging on by a thread. Love means presentness. Here's another thought, just real quick. Find professional help. Find professional help. It staggers me when we refuse to get help when we're hurting emotionally. I mean, Sean, what year was it when Richard Bruce fell and broke his leg? I mean, it was a really, really bad break. You guys know Richard Bruce here in our church? Was that, it was the one that real bad ice year happened that shut down all of Oklahoma. And, and it, Sean, you did the surgery, right? No wonder he's so bad at golf. Sean didn't fix him right. Um, and, and Richard fell, and it was a pretty nasty break, right? I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was gruesome. It was rough. It was a spiral fracture in his leg. I mean, how crazy would it have been if we would have gathered around Richard and said, hey, Richard, man, that's a really bad break. We're just going to lay hands on you and pray that thing healed. I mean, that's a great idea, right? And I believe we should do that when people are hurting. Look, if I start having chest pains right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather around me. I want you to lay hands on me, and I want you to pray for me like my life depended on it. And then I want you to call 911 because my life depends on it. Now, here's the thing. I know the Lord can heal me. I know the Lord can stop a heart attack or a stroke. I know the Lord can heal cancer. I know he can do all those things. But he's also given us doctors. And he's also given us counselors. That when we're broken physically and we're hurt emotionally, we get help. And I am passionate about this because this has affected my own family. When I was nine years old, I think it was 1984, maybe 83, my grandfather, was um, Paul Studebaker, was put in the hospital. He was, a few people in my family struggle with depression, and I'm sure that's why I struggle with it. Maybe it's a hereditary thing. I, I really don't know. Um, and, um, and he was in the hospital. He was getting help, and he was getting treatment. He had had like a minor psychotic episode, and, and so he was there getting worked on and, and having some counseling and having some drugs and having some healing taking place until somebody in the church told my grandmother, Catherine, Jesus can't heal Paul in the hospital. He can't. You gotta go get him. There's nothing that those psychiatrists and those doctors can do for him that Jesus can't do. So she went and got him. She brought him home. And a few days later, he had a psychotic episode, and he murdered her. Took her life. Do I blame my grandpa? 
No, I love him with all my heart. He passed a few years ago and I got to be a part of his funeral. He was welcomed into our family. He was broken. He was depressed. He had a psychotic episode. And I thought, who in the world would tell somebody to not get help when they need it? Now, physically, with our bodies, we're okay with seeing doctors. But for some reason, with our emotions and our mental state, we think it's weird. We have to, we have to stop that. We have to. Here's what I acknowledge this morning. A lot of what I said sounds like do, 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 do. And it's really hard to do when you're depressed. It's really hard to muster up the energy to find help. It's really hard to lean into the words of God. It's really hard to do opposite of our feelings. It's really hard to even go to church and tell somebody how you feel. It's really hard. So I just want to give you one last thought this morning. When you can't do, or even when you can do, turn your eyes towards the love of God and what he's already done for you. Verse 7 and 8 in Psalms 143 says this. It says, come quickly, Lord, and answer me. For my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me or I will die. Read it with me. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. For I am trusting you. Verse 11 and 12, he says, for the glory of your name, O Lord, preserve my life. Say it with me. Because of your faithfulness. Isn't that good? It's because of your faithfulness. It's because of your unfailing love I am trusting you. It's in your unfailing love. Silence all my enemies. Destroy all my foes. For I am your servant. God's love and faithfulness. The great truth I have for you this morning is God's love and faithfulness is never dependent upon you. His love is unfailing. My love fails. His love is faithfulness. I'm not always faithful. And that's the beauty, is that it's not dependent upon my character. His love is dependent upon his. So when we can't do, we just turn. We turn our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look at him. We lean into him. Now, this is what I know this morning. There's roughly 100 people in here that probably seven of you are dealing with depression. This weekend, there was 150, 100, 200 kids at State Youth Convention. Somewhere between 15 and 20 of them, just by percentages, are dealing with depression. It happens to people outside the church, and it affects people inside and this morning, I just want you to have hope. Hope in the unfailing love of Jesus. I'm going to ask our, our prayer counselors to come forward and our worship team. Um, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a, a moment of worship. Um, and I just want to encourage you. I just want to plead with you. Maybe there's something happening in your life and in your walk with God or something that you face and you think, you know what, Jared, I, I think I might be battling depression. 
I think I might be in that. And I've never wanted to talk about it, and I've never wanted to pray about it. I've never had the courage to say something. I just want to encourage you this morning to, to come and have one of these wonderful people in the front and the back pray with you. There's nothing to be embarrassed about, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. It hurts. It battles with us all. But the church can love you and encourage you, and God certainly wants to do the same. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, I pray that they would hear your love, that they would feel your spirit whispering into their heart and their soul the great love that you have for them, God. Lord, that you would give them the courage to not fall into their feelings and, and isolate but God, that you would encourage and inspire them and breathe life and hope into them and that they would step up and step out and hear your words of hope. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, nor danger, trouble, scripture says, nor nakedness or sword, no principality here on this earth, nothing in heaven, nothing below. Lord, I pray that they would be confident in who you are and what Jesus has done for us. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 